Dear partners, friends and supporters of Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. Just a few days after our last edition of podcasts on the 9th of May, Minsk made some global headlines. The Republic of Belarus was the only country that went through with its big parade on Victory Day, the anniversary that marked 75 years since the end of the Second World War. While the parade was criticized and mocked as being irresponsible by many, it also raised interest and even approval, especially in countries of the former Soviet Union. President Alexander Lukashenko said his country had no other choice but to hold the parade because the victory is so extremely important. He even said his whole country was a monument to the glorious triumph in the Great Patriotic War. It is true that its meaning for Belarus and its national identity can hardly be overestimated. For most Belarusians, the victory of 1945 was a huge reason to celebrate. It meant victory and liberation from the Nazi occupation. But after years of unimaginable terror and nightmares, many people felt probably rather relieved than particularly happy on that very day. Those kind of feelings rather came in the long run. The bloodshed had been extremely high in Belarus. Up to one in three people lost their lives, so everybody had lost friends and family members. But the people didn't really have so much time to sit and mourn. They had to get back to work and rebuild their wrecked homeland and the Soviet Union. This left deep stains on the people's mentality. Just over 40 years later, the people of Belarus were again struck by a major challenge. When the nuclear reactor blew up in Chernobyl in northern Ukraine, the major part of the fallout came down in Belarus. This European tragedy was a disaster for Belarusians. Too many of them died and many more got sick until this day. But again, people didn't have much time for mourning. Shortly after the accident, the Soviet Union collapsed and Belarusians had to find the strength to pull up their sleeves and build their newly independent republic. Nobody knows where the present crisis, which was sparked by COVID-19, will eventually lead, how many lives it will claim, what costs we will see politically and economically. But it is for sure that eventually the main burden will again be borne by the people. In the previous edition of podcasts, we have discussed the diversity of answers from the Belarusian society to the COVID-19 pandemic. From one side, we see strong activities, and from the other, passivity, paternalism, and even so-called separation. Some experts say that crises always separate the Belarusian society even more. We feel that it's not just a response to COVID-19, there are far more aspects behind and beyond it. Regarding the Belarusian history, we want to try to find the answer to our one important question of this podcast. It concerns the current behavior of the Belarusian society. Why do people act the way they do? We have asked two experts from Belarus to show us this issue from different perspectives. Our first expert, Andrei Dinko, is chief editor of the website and newspaper Nashiniva, one of the oldest newspapers in Belarus. It was for the first time published in Vilna in 1906. We have asked him to tell us about some stable features of the Belarusian society that came out during this pandemic as a response to it. The pandemic showed that Belarus remains deeply divided. A nearly Huntingtonian boundary goes inside Belarusian society. Despite what we can read sometimes, the Belarusian authority strategy is far from being Swedish. The reaction of Lukashenko to pandemic is indeed rooted in some 
basic traditions of Russian and then Soviet empire. Secrecy and strategy of denial. Deny calamities and incidents. Deny anything that can make you seem vulnerable. And never open statistics to avoid your court. And do not allow citizens to express doubts and by any means maintain established order. This Ordnung über alles strategy, even at the cost of people's lives. The culture of cheating penetrates any practices in such a society. Cribs, cheating at exams in schools, facades that, that differ from back walls in city architecture, Potemkin's villages in economy, falsified elections. Obsessive secrecy goes down to the Stalinist closed society and then down to Russian absolutism. A very interesting book about this is that I can recommend you is by the Polish historian Andrzej Sulima-Kaminski, Republic versus Autocracy, Poland, Lithuania and Russia in 1686-1697. The super goal of such a system is always to create impression that the situation is better than in other countries. Impression. An obligatory military parade is the quintessence of this cult of order, discipline, subordination. The meaning of parades for the Russian imperial society was brilliantly described by the philosopher Yuri Lotman in his essays on the history of Russian culture. Meanwhile, Lukashenko's opponents appeal to totally different values. Uh, transparency, truth, search of truth, rationality, criticism. These two systems of values coexist inside a society and sometimes inside the same one individual, the same individual. Uh, what is the dynamics of these values? For me, The decision to send or not to send children to schools was a kind of referendum whether people are still loyal to this imperial closed society values. Even according to the official count by the Ministry of Education, after the spring break, only 30-40% of children returned to schools. And even by mid-May, the figure reached only 41%. This small School plebiscite showed that the dynamics is no more positive for the adepts of Russian imperial traditions. Thank you, Andrei, for this opinion and for your work. The website Nashaniva is still one of the main sources of actual and interesting information from Belarus, available in Belarusian and Russian languages. And our second expert is Pavel Tiraskovich, a famous Belarusian anthropologist, a pioneer in the scientific field in Belarus. And we have asked him to lift the veil from the influence of history on forming of the Belarusian society. Our question is, which historical peripeties have influenced this process and how? Well, um, Belarus is labeled sometimes as the most Soviet among the post-Soviet states. In some extent, it is true. And to my mind, this is a result of particular Belarusian way to modernity. 
It is known that by the end of the 19th century, Belarus was typical agrarian and the most backward region within western frontiers of Russian Empire. It preserved its comparative backwardness until the end of the 1950s. It should be also noted that Belarus was cruelly destroyed during the World War II. It lost about a quarter of its population and most of the city dwellers, those groups which preserved traditions of social activism and self-organization. In the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, Belarus passed through the extraordinary fast urbanization and industrialization. Just in 25-30 years, it became one of the most advanced and prosperous republic of the Soviet Union. The huge number of peasants who worked in the collective farms under the conditions almost the same like the serfs in the Tsarist Russia become city dwellers. And it was amazing new life with guaranteed wages, eight hours working day, new apartments with cold and hot water, refrigerators and TV sets. They considered it as a miracle, but they brought to the cities peasants' patterns of behavior, including conformity, social passivity, and submission. In 1994, Alexander Lukashenko promised to come back to this golden Soviet age and won the victory. He promised to come back in exchange for conformity and submission. Today, of course, Belarus is not the same like in 1990s. It is post-industrial society, 80% of population now live in the cities, and substantial part of it are city dwellers in the second and the third generation. For them, Soviet past is not a huge value. It seems to me that pandemic situation pushed forward a new scale of social activism and a hope in the day after Belarusian society become a new one. Thank you. Thank you, Pavel Seldovich, for this insight and for your work. As we see, there are some essential reasons for Belarusian acting the way they do. We think and hope that all crises have and will also strengthen what has become something like a benchmark for the evaluation of societies nowadays, the resilience of the Belarusian society. In the next edition of our podcast, we will concentrate on another immediate challenge, which the COVID-19 pandemic didn't create, but exacerbate in the headaches of the economy. We will present latest figures and data, as well as some insights from our upcoming events that will focus on the same issue, trying to find the answer to the question, can Belarus pass the storm? Finally, a few words on upcoming activities by Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. As we announced last time, we have launched a weekly series by the title Coping with COVID, where we look into national perspectives on how societies and states deal with the epidemic. We have spoken so far about Germany and China. You can find the streams on our YouTube channel. This week, we're going to talk about Israel, and next week, we're going to talk about Romania and Moldova. 
This week, we're going to have a roundtable discussion about how the economic effects of the COVID pandemic can be dealt with with the help of international organizations. It's going to be upon invitation only, but the results will be published because we will be having journalists join us for this session. And finally, next week, we're going to launch another series together with our partner Minsk Dialogue on the question how the pandemic changes the behavior of the pillars of international security, so states and important institutions, and how this will eventually affect the security situation in Eastern Europe. Stay tuned, follow us on our social media channel. Looking forward to being with you the next time in our upcoming podcast. Schöne Vitanie, schönen Gruß, Kasper Larus.